Hello friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is for you and I together to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Welcome to episode 38 of season 6, our study time together through the Gospel of Mark. I have entitled today's episode, Learning the Lessons of Failure. And it will cover the scripture text from Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to the close of that chapter, verse 72. Failure, whether in our personal lives or our spiritual lives, is something that affects us all. Regardless of our faith background, failure is always just around the corner. Failure is indeed a universal experience, but spiritual failure is one of the most profound types of failures that we can experience. Because spiritual failure for the Christian believer carries a unique weight, because it can create a chasm between us and our relationship with God. In today's episode, we're going to journey through this short narrative and discover that even in the darkest moments, there is hope, forgiveness, and restoration. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. If you're here for the first time, do hang on at the end and I'll tell you ways in which you can connect to this ministry and never miss another single episode. So with that said, we'll drop into the text and I'll say, Bye-bye for now. We probably all know people who failed at one thing or another. Some people fail in their jobs, they fail in businesses they start. Sadly, for some, they even fail in their marriage. And these unfortunate experiences happen to all sorts of people, Christians and non-Christians alike. But spiritual failure is the most serious type of failure for the Christian believer. Because a failure in your Christian life, it doesn't mean you don't have the potential to be forgiven, but it does mean that there can be an ever-widening distance between you and God. And it can even lead to a possible slipping into sin. I hope that's not a shock for you. But, spoiler alert, the truth is Christians do sin. In fact, people who know the Lord a long time sometimes even slip and fall. Even Christian leaders, sadly, we see, sometimes fall big time, right in the glare of public publicity. So what is your response to that? What is our response to that? Well, I hope it's not to sit back and be smug when we see someone else fall or a high-profile Christian fall and say, tut, tut. That would never happen to me. You might even have a judgmental attitude about them because there is in fact something we can learn from the failure of others. Today, I'd like us to talk about one of the classic cases of failure seen for us in the Bible. However, I also hopefully want us to learn something from this particular example of a profound spiritual failure. This is a very famous story People who know very little about the Bible still seem to know something about the basic facts that this guy called Peter, perceived as one of the leaders, if not the leaders, of the disciples, at one point denied he even knew the Lord. And he did it three times. So what I want us to do this morning is look at this passage, walk through it together, but then at the end of that process, go beyond the text and look what I think 
the deeply significant message it's trying to teach us, the profound truth that it offers us. This passage on the surface is a straightforward recording for us of events that took place around the situation that caused Peter to deny the Lord three times. We will see that in the first one, he's in the courtyard of the high priest Cephas. This is where Jesus is being cross-examined in this sort of unjust quasi-trial that we looked at yesterday. Now, I would say as an aside, the very fact that he'd been there, we should give him some credit. Because remember, we found out yesterday, just a few verses back, that all the others had forsook him and fled. So before we get too hard on Peter, please recognize that he had at least come back. He was still hanging around, albeit on the edge of events, watching what was unfolding before him. And just by being there, he was, of course, putting himself potentially in harm's way. So let's see what the text tells us, and let's begin our working through it together, which is the normal pattern. I'll go through it verse by verse and then try and apply what it means, the truth, profound truth it gives us and the application of it in our lives. So picking up the text in Mark 14, and the first two verses, 66 and 67, say this. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him and said, You were with the Nazarene Jesus. Now, the fact that she refers to Jesus as the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, the Bible experts say the tone being used here is judgmental. And that's because Nazareth was seen as a little backwater town, and people from there didn't get much respect. Well, let's see how Peter responded to this. Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entrance. Now, the other gospel accounts tell us that at this point a cock crowed. Peter here is seen to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never even heard of him. Now, you may remember yesterday we heard how early in the text Jesus had already predicted that before the cock crowed twice, Peter would deny himself three times. So verse 68 is the Peter's first denial of Jesus. So that verse 68 I've just read is the very first denial of Peter. And from there he leaves the courtyard and he goes, it says, to the entrance, which means he goes and stands in the porch by the front of the courtyard. And this we see is Peter's first failure. In fact, this is a climax of a series of failures, really, that Peter has had in this last week of Jesus' life. You'll remember at the beginning of the chapter, which we looked at a few days ago, when Jesus first predicted that this very thing would happen, Peter vehemently denied it. He literally said to Jesus, I would die first before I would do such a thing. He even dared to compare himself to the other disciples and said, well, they might feel in that way, but I won't. Another factor we covered a few days ago is that he didn't pray when he was told to when he was told to watch and pray so that he wouldn't fall into temptation or we find him do well he had one job which was to stay awake and rather than do that he had a nap remember it's that story a few days ago when they all went into the garden of gethsemane and jesus said to him you should go and pray so that you do not succumb to temptation jesus didn't say go and pray for me he said go and pray for yourself in order that you don't fall into the temptations that you're going to face soon. But Peter, with the others granted, they went off and they fell asleep. 
And then here we see when he's actually confronted with a temptation, he lies. And he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know this man. Now in the context of Peter's life, yes, this is a moment of profound failure. But please note, his failures do not mean that he does not have a future as a believer and a follower of Jesus. There is a huge difference between failing and being a failure. And that's the lesson we need to learn here. Making a mistake does not necessarily mean that you are a failure without a future. Failure as a Christian believer is not final. It never needs to be a final defining characteristic. The text continues. When the servant girl saw him there, remember he's standing in the porchway area now, she said again and to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. So the first time she spoke directly to Peter, but this second time she speaks to the whole group of people who are gathered there. So what will Peter do now? Verse 69. Again he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near to him said, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now it would seem that his accent gave him away. By the way, the contemporary historians from that period tell us that the Galileans had a very strong rural accent. So much so that they were actually forbidden for saying any of the benedictions or prayers in the main synagogue. But be that as it may, we can see that one failure often leads to another. We can see that in our everyday life, can't we, when one lie never tends to stand alone. Because often, if we tell a lie, then we find ourselves having to back up that lie with other lies to cover our tracks, so to speak. Thus, prolonging and widening the deception. But the thing I want to point out here, I need to point out here, is no matter who you are or how long you've been walking with the Lord, you can still have the potential to fail and fail big time, just like Peter does here. We Christians are not perfect. We're just forgiven. Never forget, even if you love the Lord and you've been forgiven and handed your life over to him, never forget that at heart you still have a sinful nature and you can and still will make mistakes and fail spiritually and even perhaps morally. But as long as we have breath in our body, we still have the possibility not only of going back to our old ways, but also, thankfully, the gift of receiving forgiveness. You see, this gift of forgiveness and eternal life does not guarantee that you won't make mistakes, that you won't even fail or fall down in the future. The most fascinating thing about this story, I think, is that Peter was so convinced previously that he wouldn't do this sort of thing. I'll die first, he said. A loud affirmation which tells me that the loudest of affirmations in what you believe will still not guarantee faithfulness into the future. I have to be frank with you friends. I sometimes think the louder people declare these sort of things, I often think secretly underneath they're really just trying to convince themselves. You see the truth of the matter is we must acknowledge because of our sinful nature we are all capable of falling. We're all capable of getting into serious moral entanglements. If not, you underestimate the power of sin. And as a matter of fact, Peter here demonstrates for us, well, that it can happen, but he also demonstrates clearly that determination not to do it is not the key thing. Maybe you have done something in the past and you are determined not to do it again. 
And again, you think because you're determined, that's going to help you not do that again. Well, I would say, have your New Year resolutions taught you nothing? Determination does not determine success. And this one great illustration of the Bible is Peter. It is something else that determines success in the victory over sin and temptation. Nobody was more determined than Peter here. So the issue is not deciding. The issue is not your determination. The issue of victory over sin and temptation is dependency. Do you remember the apostles, what Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthian church? He reminded them that when I am weak, I am strong. You see, it is your dependence on the Lord that will make and keep you strong, not your determination. That's why the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, in the very same chapter, told Paul, reminded Paul to tell them that my grace is sufficient for you. It's not the determination of the human will. It never has been. It's our dependence on divine grace that keeps us from making mistakes and even falling away into sinful practices. What Peter should have done was depend upon the grace of God to get him over that situation before the cock had crowed even the first time. We too, when confronted with temptations, should immediately pray. Pray and remove ourselves from the situation and thereafter rely totally on the Lord. Having said that, let me say that that doesn't mean that there won't be occasions where we won't fail. But failing does not mean that you're a failure who has no future. Let's pick up again in the main text, 14 verse 71. He began to call down curses and swore to them. So this is Peter here. I don't know this man you're talking about, he said. Now you'll notice there's been a progression here in the accusations and the stakes are getting bigger and bigger for him all the time as more and more people are drawn into what's occurring and hearing, well, this lie. His denials are getting larger and louder to the point that he's now swearing an oath, swearing that he doesn't know what they're talking about. Now, most commentators agree that the swearing mentioned here means he's saying something like, May God judge me if this is not true. I swear before God I don't know what you're talking about. That's the sort of thing. So he's doing that, and then this happens. Immediately the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And there he broke down and wept. The Lord had said you are going to do this. You're going to deny me three times, he said. And I started out today by saying that I wanted to look at this passage, but I also want to go beyond it and try and figure out, consider what it really means. Let me read to you an extra couple of verses that appear in Luke's account of these events that isn't actually mentioned in Mark. Luke 22, halfway through verse 60 to 62, tells us, Immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words of the Lord and how he said to him, Before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. One little extra phrase, but I think it's an important one. Jesus didn't actually say a word. He just looked, looked at Peter, and Peter knew. What a powerful moment that must have been for Peter. I'm so glad it was recorded for us by Luke. Now, this is not a look of anger. It's a look of quiet acceptance. This is not a look of bitterness upon Peter. It's a look of compassion. 
It's not a look of a guilty accusation. What I see in this text is a look of divine grace. I don't see any hostility. I just see a look of sadness combined with an acknowledgement of the reality, but also combined with forgiveness. It seems to me as though Jesus looked and said, I'm saddened, but I want you to know that although you fail today, it doesn't mean you're a failure. So having seen this, having done this, having seen Jesus do this, the text then tells us that Peter went out and not surprisingly he wept bitterly. However, friends, even though Peter denied him three times, the look of the Lord at one and the same time, yes, it convicted him, but I believe it also forgave him. And because the repentance is there, we see it, don't we? The text tells us he wept. I believe at that point he got it. And because he got it, he wept. But because he got it, he got forgiven. And his failures did not define him. And as a failure, personally, his falling into sin, his falling again into sin, means yes, he failed, but it did not mean that he would live his life as a failure. And what that tells me, and what it should tell you, is that if you fail, if you fall, you too are definitely not defined by that, and you are not without a future in the service of the Lord. Okay, let me try and sum this up by making a couple of observations. You know, the New Testament was written over a period of about 40 years. It was actually started, probably the first book written was a book called James, written about 20 years after Jesus' death, and it ended with the book of Revelation, which was written sometimes between 75 and 95 AD, so around 40 to 60 years after the death of the Lord. Now, we also have some contemporary writings written alongside the Bible text, Now, these aren't scriptures, but they're helpful in backing up and giving confirmation of some of the stuff within the main Bible text. One of such writings was by a man named Patnos, P-A-T-N-O-S, who is believed to have written something between maybe as early as 95 AD or, or up to 110. And we know this because his writing he talks about relating to and knowing Philip's daughter. So we know he's very close to the writings at the same time, maybe as close to being about the time as the book of Revelation or five or ten years later. So writing at a similar time as the later books of the New Testament are being written. This guy Patnos says that to a great extent, the Gospel of Mark, which we're looking at together, was actually Peter's preaching material transcribed by Mark. He claimed that Mark, going around, was witnessing events and listening and wrote down a great detail of not only what Jesus said and did, but also what Peter said about what happened and his account of things. And he said much of that is recorded in Mark's Gospel account. Now, I'm not alone in thinking that, and modern historians aren't alone in in approaching Mark in this way. Three other very early fathers of the Christian faith also held this view. People, you may have heard of them, a guy called Tertullian of Carthage, Clement of Alexander, and another early theologian called Irenaeus. Now, if they're correct, and Mark was in fact recording what Peter said, 
then this is important to understand that here, these events we're looking at, what we have here is Peter himself, through his own testimony, publicly admitting to his failure. Now, another observation worth taking account of is the fact that the Gospel of Mark was written to Christians who were living in Rome at that time. And at that time, Christians were facing similar things to what Peter was facing here. They were going through the beginnings of what would become a full-blown persecution, which means they were being challenged to deny the Lord all the time. So how helpful these writings must have been for them to see that Peter, the person who was acknowledged as an apostolic leader, that Peter himself failed. Peter acknowledges that he fails. He acknowledged as here in this narrative that he fell well below the standards that the Lord had set for him. And he fails and he falls away. And indeed by denying the Lord he sinned. And let me just go one step further. He didn't just commit an everyday sin. He committed an enormous sin, didn't he? Because he knew the Lord personally yet he still denied the Lord and did it three times. He didn't just tell a lie. His lie involved him denying his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, three times face to face. Now, don't get me wrong. We know there's no hierarchy of sins. All sins are equal sins before Lord and all can be forgiven. But some sins definitely have more serious consequences than others. But here we see Jesus' right-hand man, one of his key representatives on earth, and who will continue to be that, is the guy himself who denies him three times. Now you too may have sin in your life. They could be very serious sins, not in the hierarchy, but in the sense that they have a profound effect on you or other people. Sins like having an affair, stealing, lying, addiction, being addicted to drugs, alcohol, or even pornography. Now, some people love to put sins in a hierarchy, but as Christian believers, we don't think that way. We recognize that sins have different levels of catastrophic effects on the believer or those around them, but we also believe that anyone who commits any sin can be forgiven, restored, even asked, expected to serve in the body of Christ again. That is the definite truth. So please hear this because this, I think, is the greatest lesson of this passage. In that as Christians, we know the Lord, yet we can still make mistakes and fall back into sin. We can fail and we can fail big time. But the lesson taught here is always that God forgives and God restores and God does that big time as well. The Lord forgives sinners, the Lord restores sinners, but most importantly, the Lord also uses restored sinners. The Lord restored Peter here, and very soon, a few months later, we see him win 3,000 souls to Christ. Bible experts would say less than two months after these events. Peter denied the Lord Jesus just one day before he was crucified. Then 50 days later at Pentecost, God used him to establish the church through the preaching of the good news of the gospel. So remember this. I've said it many times before. Salvation is a free gift. Trust in him and you are forgiven of your sins, past, present and future. But that future phrase means you may still sin. 
But the truth is that if you fall into sin, you can always fall also on your spiritual knees and cry out in sorrow and he will forgive you. He will restore you. In fact, he will sanctify you, make you clean and use you again because God is in the forgiving business. You know what, friends? I've failed many times in my life, daily in fact, but sometimes I've failed profoundly as well. But by the grace of God, I know I'm not defined by my failures. Maybe when I do fail, I'm more inclined to reach out and try and grasp hold of God's grace. Maybe I might still learn something when I fail and get things wrong in the knowledge that God does not abandon me and he wants to reveal to me how he has a better plan for my life, a better plan that I'm currently following. And that is what I believe the Lord would teach all of us listening to this and approaching this passage today. He says, I don't want you to fail, but know this, that when you do, I will tell you what I told Peter. Failing does not mean that you are a failure. It just means you need to come back to me and let me forgive you and restore you. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I do hope you find that helpful and encouraging. You know, this episode today, it wasn't just a historical narrative. It was a message of hope and restoration. Peter, despite his monumental failure, went on to become a key figure in spreading the message of Christ and in fact, establishing the early church. As we explore this passage together, and as perhaps you meditate on it, let its implications remind you that in moments of failure, God's grace is sufficient. We are, none of us are defined by our mistakes as Christians. We are defined by our response to them and our willingness to seek forgiveness and restoration by turning back to him. So stay with us, friends, and stay joined with us as we journey and continue this journey together through the Gospel of Mark as we uncover the profound truths, like we've discovered today that failing does not make us failures, it just makes us human, human beings in need of grace and to remaining open to the transformative power of the love of God. So thank you for joining us in this episode today and stay tuned for more, I hope, what will be enriching discussions and explorations through the first gospel ever written. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from and leaving a review. That way you can make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. And your support and your subscriptions, they really help do that. And your reviews and your shares, all those things, they help us reach more listeners with this timeless message of faith and hope. So don't forget to connect. Visit the Bible Project host page where you'll find all the links to all the places that you can connect and support this ministry. With that all said, I'll say bye-bye for today and I do hope I'll see you back here tomorrow or whatever day works for you as we work together through this Bible Project daily podcast. Bye-bye for now.